What up, everybody? Welcome to Searching for Political Identity. I am Brian Escal, your host. Very excited to welcome my guest today for what I think is going to be a very interesting conversation. Mr. MJ Giasulo, an attorney from New Jersey, a personal friend of mine. Welcome to the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome, buddy. Thanks for doing this. So today we're going to discuss a very hot issue in society today. And it's a pretty serious subject, actually, pretty intense subject, and that is censorship, right? That's like all over the news today. Big tech, censorship, Twitter, Facebook, etc. The allegation that big tech companies are deplatforming conservative voices. We're talking about cancel culture. It's, it's a pretty intense conversation, so we're going to cover a lot of ground. We're going to dig a little bit into Section 230, the First Amendment. Uh, I'm not an expert on those subjects, but we're going to talk about them a little bit. I will also talk about some of the perspectives that I've been exposed to in law school. I'm still in law school, and I had the pleasure of listening to some really intelligent professors talk a little bit about this subject recently. So I'm going to share with you their perspectives. But before we get into all this, let me first say that it's the day before Memorial Day. And, you know, I started this podcast recently to talk about issues facing America. And here we are a week or so later on the eve of Memorial Day. And I just want to thank everyone who has served the country and who is currently serving the country. What a sacrifice so that people like me can start a podcast. Pretty amazing. So respect to all those who have served and are serving. Um, with that said, before we get into this extremely hot topic, let me also say one thing. I know what it's like to be bullied. And I wrote this down, MJ. I wanted to start with this. I know what it's like to be bullied. And it's not fun. It's not nice. And one thing we're definitely not going to do, I'm just saying this for the audience in general on this show, is we're not going to bully. This show is about respect, open debate, free debate, and having an exchange of ideas, as I said in the first episode. With that said... It's a perfect transition to something I've been exposed to. I'm going to pretend like I'm really smart now and quote some political philosopher, John Stuart Mill. Is that what he was, MJ, a political philosopher? Mill was pretty much a philosopher, yeah. He sat around and got paid for his thoughts. Mm. Not bad. And so have you heard this quote, MJ? I'm going to read the quote. It's a little old Englishy, and then I'll give my translation. And though all the winds of doctrine were let loose to play upon the earth, so truth be in the field. We do injuriously by licensing and prohibiting to misdoubt her strength. Let her in falsehood grapple. Whoever knew truth put to the worse in a free and open encounter. So, in other words, if you're so worried about what truth is, and I think that is a huge concern today, what is true with all the algorithms on the internet and all the compartmentalization of thoughts, what is true, right? And I think the idea here from Mill is just let 
all the views compete in the market, right? What do you think? Let him let him stand for himself, right? I'm mm. far, far be it for me to ever compliment a former uh, member of English Parliament, but let the truth stand for itself. People are smart enough to discern what is false, what is true. That is exactly. what comments. Uh, I'm sorry to cut you off. That is what no. comment sections are for. Comment sections are for people in a respectful manner saying, this is my perspective on it. Other person saying, this is why I disagree. And we're all supposed to come out for the better. Unfortunately, what they've melded into is just flame wars. And as you said, bullying, you know, we've seen this new like online bullying type of thing. I've been bullied too, man. It's hard. I mean, I'm sure we all have. I'm sure everybody in the audience could share that perspective of at some point in their life being bullied and really hating it. So yep. that's the, we're not going to do that here. This is I think you've done a really smart thing with this podcast where you've recognized like, you know, everyone's sort of searching for, if not their political identity, sort of the different perspective that doesn't come out screaming, which is all you're going to see on news and most podcasts at this point. And you kind of looked around and were like, well, my friends have this sort of huge diversity, if not diversity in, in other characteristics, at least diversity in perspective. Right. You grew up in, in an area where you're going to get some people that are at least for our generation, right wing enough to where they're considered a till of the hun, and you're going to get a solid left wing viewpoint. So I think you're doing a really smart thing with this podcast, and it allows other people to sort of open a window into what the I guess the common man. Are we the common men? Are we common? I'm kind of common. In I'm terms of normal. intelligence, I'm as common as it gets. I'm, I'm as normal as it gets, man. I'm five seven, which is average height. Like I'm yeah. pretty normal in terms of intelligence, we so right where we're at yeah i think so i think we're i i think so i mean who am i to say but i think we are and i almost called this podcast the reasonable man the reasonable person right well there you go i i consider myself i consider myself reasonable you're eminently reasonable well that's the question how can so many people i think people in general are reasonable and the question is how then is there so much division in society so i want to get to the the heart of the ideas and say, well, is there really so much division among the ideas and the people? Or is the division really among these labels, the false labels that are applied? You know? Yeah. Is the division manufactured? Exactly. Exactly. And so that's exactly why I want this podcast to just be about free debate. And that's what Mill was saying, I suppose. And I'd just let him grapple. And so when you think about cancel culture, and the concept of deplatforming, like we'll get there in a few minutes, but just to tease it, you know, obviously Trump being deplatformed on Twitter sure. and Facebook. Well, let's not even get there yet, but teasing it. Um, Parlor, um, you know, being crushed. Um, we'll get to that in a few minutes. Um, but that is the point to have an open debate. So let me have you heard of this, this guy Barlow, MJ? I'm just pulling this article up. Have you heard of a Declaration of the Independence of Cyberspace written in 1996 by a guy named John Perry Barlow? Have you ever heard of that? Vaguely. Um, vaguely, but I don't know how to feel about it. Because on one hand, the libertarian streak in me is like, all right, we're independent of government. But on the other hand, it's the entire problem that I think we're seeing with sci with the the whole debate in terms of allowing Facebook and Twitter to have their own platform today to where they they make the rules they make the rules they're free of any oversight so that's my long and short answer squiz i'm sorry right so this is a quote from the document we are creating a world this was written in 1996 we are creating a world where anyone anywhere may express his or her beliefs no matter how singular without fear of being coerced 
into silence or conformity. Now, hold on. I don't want to read this whole thing, but I'm tempted to, but I'll just say to listeners, go ahead and read this document, a declaration of the independence of cyberspace again by John Perry Barlow. And I'll just read the first sentence of the document. Governments of the industrial world, you weary giants of flesh and steel. I come from cyberspace, the new home of mind. On behalf of the future, I ask you of the past to leave us alone. You are not welcome among us. You have no sovereignty where we gather. Now, let me just summarize it by saying it's basically a document saying that you don't have, you governments don't have any sovereignty literally over the cyber domain. And so while we continue to cede our sovereignty to you in the physical domain for now, it was straight up saying we are renegotiating the social contract. We're not renewing it with you in cyberspace. So that was the idea. And I think the article that I read um, from Spiked Online written by, uh, well, I'll tell you at the end of the podcast, but it was from Spiked Online, Tom Slater, really cool article. And he talks about how big tech started in 96 at that time with the idea that they would change the world, that they would give everyone a voice. That's Zuckerberg's um, slogan, right? Give, giving people a voice. And how far we've come from the idea that everyone has a voice and there's going to be no censorship or filtering from Barlow's declaration to now Section 230 and conservatives allegedly being deplatformed big debate whether it's true um if it's true it's a problem if well, it's true let me just, go ahead let me preliminarily say this to anybody who doesn't think it's true okay i had a facebook for 15 years that through i i swear to god i mean i literally have i don't even know how we would disseminate this but i made very sure to keep a record over the last four or five times that i was banned for the most innocuous things for calling someone crazy for wishing uh covet on people on their political opponents I, I we might know that person mutually. I'm not going to give a name or anything, but like, don't yeah. For someone was crazy for yes. suggesting they yes. suggested yes. that their political opponents their should get COVID. get COVID, and you said yes. that's crazy. I I said in a very well, not, you don't need to repeat in it in, non, in a non in a non offensive and non colorful way to some to surmise. Yes, I said you're you're insane. You were insane for doing that. That's insane. Don't do that. I was the one that was banned. I know other so like I know public figures that are so incredibly benign that are getting banned. Uh, Walk away was a sort of a hashtag campaign for former Democrat disaffected Democrats that you would normally think vote vote Democrat that would vote Republican. The whole page was banned for no reason. Facebook never gave a reason, never gave some sort of um, code of conduct. As you said, the first principle in that entire um in the Declaration of the Independence of Cyberspace, the first principle where, where anything, any free for a free for all of information, no matter how, and I don't know how artfully he put it, obviously, but basically it's a free for all. All the information that we want is going to be here. And by the way, that that document was written specifically against government, but specifically against the government of the United States, telling them you have no sovereignty here. This is not your domain. Stay out of it, which is ironic now because you have conservatives in I mean, it's 20, what is it, 1996, we're in 2021. So 15 years later, you have conservatives actually taking the pro-government position of saying, hey, government, we need your, we need you to rectify this because you have these Silicon Valley, um, 
I don't want to say, you know, the Silicon Valley, I don't want to say tyrants, but they control everything basically, right? Jack controls everything. Jack and Zuck are the arbiters, of, arbiters of what you see. Exactly. They are the arbiters of, as you said, the arbiters. It's a perfect way of putting it. They they see all, they tell all. What they say goes, their community standards Unelected go. tech giant billionaires deciding what information is on the table for consumption. And I, th I think the grand, I'm sure you would still have, there's no doubt in my mind that had that first principle from the declaration held true, that it's just an entire free for all. And that's the way that they were going about their business. There would be interest groups and, and certain people saying, no, we need government intervention. But I think I, maybe I'm being naive here because it's my, my, it's my quote unquote side and we're all tribalistic to a certain respect, which is part of why we're trying to get to the show and have free and healthy debate. And, and at least I'm, I'm engaging in discussion with other people always to try to better myself and understand different perspectives, because I think it's gotten so poisonous out there. You're seeing, you know, former friends fight with each other who wants to do, who wants to do that? Like, why do you want to live in that way? You Let's know what I mean? Get past the labels, get right to the ideas. Exactly. Think it through together. And if we come to different conclusions, at least we're not mad about it because it's nope. logic based. You move on to a certain other topic in life, sports, uh, whatever else people yeah. fill their day with. I'm talking about, but that first principle, the Declaration, I think a lot. I, at least the politic from the political point of view, you wouldn't have Ron DeSantis introducing introducing bills in which big tech's going to get fined severely if they are caught engaged in this sort of behavior, quote unquote, you know, biased behavior that I believe that they're engaged in. I think you have half the country believing that they're engaged in. You wouldn't, you'd see that kind of pullback where if it was a free for all, at least from that point of view, the conservative element would be like, no, this is fine. We're, we're, we're cool with this. I think you'd have a very strong minority in the religious right trying to do what they usually do. And we'll get into that in sort of the further cancel culture debate of saying, no, you have to call this. We can't have, you know, demonic rock music promulgating on the internets and stuff like that. I absolutely think think you'd see that element but i don't think it'd be as um nearly as pronounced from the i think that's fair to say i don't think it'd be as the pushback and the the pro-government intervention side would be nearly as pronounced from conservatives yeah so section 230 let me quote it let me quote the statute and listen guys i'm in law school i'm not a lawyer i'm no expert i am, but I I am a lawyer important. but i mean you know section yeah 230, mj's a lawyer a new and nuanced part of yeah. So MJ, tell me if I'm if I've got a good cadence here. Okay, 47 USC section 230 C1. No provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. Okay, hold on. And then it goes on C2 provider or user of an interactive computer service no provider or user, Twitter, Facebook, or user of an interactive computer service shall be held liable on account of any action voluntarily taken in good faith to restrict access to or availability of material that the provider or user considers to be obscene, lewd, lascivious, is that the pronunciation? How do you pronounce that word? I mean, filthy, excessively violent, l harassing, lascivious, lascivious. Wow! I have no. Let's just I move on. You, man, yeah, I, I wasn't ready for. I wasn't yeah, ready. I was not ready. Harassing, for that. or otherwise objectionable, whether or not such material is constitutionally protected. Now, hold on here for a second. I was exposed to a viewpoint recently in a debate 
um, that I listened to in in the law school. And one of the professors took the view that Section 230, what it does is it allows these private companies such as Twitter, Facebook, pick an online platform where information is being you know, posted and transmitted and monetized and all that. They, the public, they are not considered the publisher of any of the content posted by anyone else. Meaning they, and additionally, it goes on to say, they can't be held liable for any action taken in good faith to restrict access. In other words, it give the statute gives these private tech companies the authority to deplatform people and remove content. Now, hold on, before I turn it back to you, MJ, the argument is that the Congress, by giving private companies this authority to remove content and deplatform people, whether or not such material is constitutionally protected. In the statute, some say that Congress is just delegating the censorship power to the private corporations, giving them the control to do what Congress itself cannot do. It would clearly be unconstitutional for Congress to censor. The question is, is Congress through 230 just censoring information through private channels? Um, and also, uh, well, MJ, what do you think? Well, Obviously, I don't think that was their. I think their legislative intent when they came up with the bill, and I think we have to remember this. Legis this was created in 1996, right? Like 230's been around for 20. I mean, 96 again is what 21 years ago at this point. So you're talking about a law that was built before we all had such access to information. Before we even, I mean, think about that. That was nine years before social media even really got started. I mean, not really. MySpace came out in 2003. I guess you'd call that like the infancy of social media. Facebook was what, 04? So eight years prior to a problem that no one could even comprehend, because even then, when Facebook first came out, it was supposed to be for college students. It was supposed to be a way to keep in touch with the high school people you just graduated with. Parents weren't on it. Profiles were much less sanitized. It, there was, it wasn't, um, there was minimal commercial, I mean, there was commercial dollars going in it. And we now know that it was set up partially by, from a grant by the federal government. But I mean, it wasn't, we, we didn't really have this problem of too much information, what's true and what's false. So probably I would say the first time I started seeing arguments to limit and call profiles and information on Facebook was the 2012 election, actually, believe it or not. It wasn't even 16, which is wild when you consider that the worst thing Mitt Romney ever said was binders full of women. And then four years later, we get what we get. Awesome. But anyway. He named his son Tag. That's all you need to know. Oh, well, his cousin just actually not smooth. is. is Good guy. His nephew was catching was catching footballs from Zach Wilson, so we wish him we wish him all the best. I think Mitt Romney seems like a nice guy, and um... yeah, I think Mitt Romney's an asshole. But you know, this is again, right. this is where we would debate. Yeah, it's potato, potato. It's not. It's not. It's, it's not. You know, there's six in one hand, yeah. one half, and one half dozen in the other. So we're we're talking about two thirty, and do you know the origin? I've I. <laughs> I was exposed to it through this lecture. You know, it's not like I would have known the origin of uh, 230, but apparently it was a legislative response to a case in 1995 involving the uh, financial firm Stratton Oakmont. So I guess the basic idea of the case was some 
online forum back in 95, there was a posting, someone had posted a negative review of, and allegedly it was defamatory uh, statements uh, about Stratton Oakmont. And the court held, the trial court held that the online platform, the, you know, the baby version of Twitter, call it, little Twitter back then in 95, the court held. God, what could that have been in 95? I, I don't, need, I don't know. That. But the, how mad were they that they hopped on America Online, sat through the entire dialogue, like, oh my God. So the court said, the trial court said, online platform, baby Twitter, you are liable for the statements and so made by the other user. And so the Congress, in response to that, passed Section 230, which they reasoned, uh, I believe, would obviously protect content not providers but prevent the man protect the owners of these online platforms where ideas are transmitted um from being held as publishers it was to it was directly to overturn that case um and so thinking, I mean, yeah go ahead think about who they were protecting back then that's that's my point of how you know as much as some as much as i think not as a total uber originalist like Scalia, originalist, excuse me, like Scalia, that I think, you know, the Congress, the document's a document, it says what it says, blah, blah, blah. But I, you know, I do think certainly I skew more towards that way, more towards a federalist way of looking at the Constitution. But in terms of this specific legislation, how could you not think that at some point it's got to evolve and grow? And just from that perspective, back in 1995, thinking of the, the seminal case that it came out of, Think about who they're protecting. They're protecting AOL. They're protecting yeah. those annoying little AOL, those annoying companies where you used to get a disc in the mail and you'd be like, "I don't need this service. I already have AOL." Like that—that's where they were thinking back then. Different they world thinking now. About a totally, a totally different world. We may as well live on Mars. Absolutely. So, for MJ, we'll. After, I just have a couple more things I want to run through, and then we'll just sure, open sure, it up ahead, the conversation about cancel culture and deplatforming and that kind of thing. But so I took some notes from this lecture I was exposed to about uh, Section 230. And one interesting thing that a professor said, MJ, check this out. Section 230 is not the source of the right to take stuff down, to deplatform people, to remove content. It's the contracts. It's the user contracts. So he says, is this just a case of conservatives actually attacking property and contract rights? Because if you take Section 230C2 away and you just enforce the contracts, the Twitters of the world can still do whatever they want, deplatform. So what do you think about that? I had, you know, I had struggled with that argument for a while because for a while, I thought it was a very pertinent argument. Well, you're just arguing against the free market. These are companies. These are, these are companies by their own volition making their own user contracts and basically doing what they want, enforcing it how they want. They're not beholden to a government. They're a private ent entity. And then I saw what happened to Parler. Now, let me just preliminarily say, I don't. I think the wrong thing for us as a society is to basically start having these weird social media platforms that are nothing but echo chambers. I think that is such a bad idea, bad way for people to get lost in rhetoric that is going to totally disallow any sort of conversation, any sort of breaking away from the conditioning, so to speak, where people might look at a different perspective and say, hey, that makes sense. Maybe I need to alter my own views. I don't know how you do that if you're just going to have conservatives on parlor, you know, 
uh, liberals on Facebook. That's that's crazy. Having said that, and I, you know, I have my own parlor just because you get banned from Facebook so many times, you're going to look throw throw yourself elsewhere. You know what I mean? I, I think it sucks. It's not very user in, in it, getting getting away from the point, but I don't think it's very user friendly. It's not a very good. It's not a very good uh, just site to use. Having said that. The minute that they gained any sort of traction, the minute that they tried to establish their own, um, their own way of their own arbitration of thinking, this is what we think truth is, or this is what we're going to allow on our, on our on our site. Which, by the way, they're a lot more freewheeling in terms of you can be liberal on there and go and say whatever you want because it's so unuser friendly. You're probably not going to get bothered because no one's going to see it, which is part of the problem with that site. But as soon as they started to do that, what happened? Literally, then the bigger fish in the game just said, you know something, we're going to totally stop. You're not going to be able to use our domain. Amazon immediately came in. Lex Luthor crushed him. Lex Luthor came in and crushed him like an ant. Said, we're not going to be able to use any of our platform. We're going to totally pull your your finances. As soon as you get an Amazon to do that, everybody else is going to Everybody else is going to follow. PayPal is going to follow. Visa is going to follow in terms of letting you use transactions using their cards on there. Everything that happened that's to Parler. That's the point. Was, the gatekeepers. That's the problem right there. Again, I don't think to, to attack that professor's argument, I don't think you'd have this big conservative pushback. Again, even though I think it's the wrong solution, and I think it's just totally giving in to tribalism and a lack of having a discussion or trying to refresh your perspective and reboot so what, what philosophically. Just, just delving into these weird – I think Parler is the wrong way to to go i think we should just be able to all go on the same i think we should all be able to go on the same things have discussions and then move on if we really want to you know it's interesting that same professor said ultimately that he thinks just start a new platform you know more that, speech is the answer and that's kind of the yeah. well, hold on that's kind of the yeah but it's really interesting because it is is it as simple as saying Stuart mill uh let freedom and truth grapple who's ever known truth to to fail uh is it that simple or is it a situation where the power is so, and the the gatekeepers are have such control that it's not a fair fight? It's and that's the question. Not a fair fight. And that's the question. People disagree fight. about it, but a lot of people, more than not, the professors on that panel believe that it is undeniably true that the censorship is favoring the blue side and that the question is what to do about it. Um, so the arguments uh, between the professor, the, that was interesting. You'd get rid of section 230 and the user contracts just uh, themselves allow them well, to you know, remove anything. But hold on, uh, let me say, what else did he say? Um, one of the professors said, hey, I'm so old that I've lived long enough to see a cycle here. He said complaint in the 1920s was that all the newspapers in the country sat in the hands of Republicans. Uh, by the time the 40s rolled around, the complaint was the same, but with a different medium. All the radio stations were owned by Republicans. Radio to TV, there were laws supposedly passed preventing people from owning too many radio TV stations. So I guess what he was saying is the Republicans had control over the media then. So what's different? And uh, prof another professor said, well, basically, the staff on those Republican media were left-leaning, and there was more of a balance. Um, there was something called the Fairness Doctrine, which I frankly don't know what it is, but it was introduced when radio and television took over in the 50s, and it was uh, questions about whether it was a good idea. Um, and again, I'm 
totally ignorant to what it was. I'm just reading my notes. He said there was real pressure then in the 50s on the media to maintain some impartiality, and they did so. Hey, multi-billionaire owners and staff members are on the same side, and if any staff members get slightly off the reservation, they're gone. They're gone. Legal pressures that were created and successful in the 30s and 40s, uh, the need for a degree of partiality and freedom in debate is no different. Last thing I'll say before I turn it back to you, MJ, is this professor had a nice phrase, um, and I want to make sure I don't claim it as my own, um, but he said, his phrase, oh gosh, I wish I had it in front of me. Oh, here we go. If the media are, are if the media are a censorship-minded monoculture in which there is a one-party state for public debate, it bodes very ill for democracy. If it can be done on one political side, in the future it can be done on the other political side. So if it's happening, there's no doubt that it's disturbing, right? Well, I think... So you say it is. I, I, I say it isn't. To take it back a little bit, you know, as much as we can say it's happening pro blue side. That's only, I think that's only for now. You know, I think it's happening. I, I, again, right now it just so happens that blue interests more align with, I think this weird me, you know, corporate me with weird corporate media interests for lack of a better term. I think that's what you're seeing. So therefore they're the side that's being able to project. But I think we'd have a lot of friends that are progressives that would absolutely say I'm being censored too here. Like I'm, I'm saying things that I believe to be true and I'm, I'm getting the hammer down on me so to speak. Mm. So, and now, now listen, I would say that I would tell them like, it's almost like the, um, the handshake meme with Arnold and Carl Weathers where it's like, all right, corporate media in the top Republicans are, you know, conservatives on one side and then progressives on the other. Like let's meet in the middle and understand this is happening. How do we come up with a solution? Mm. Yep. So I guess section 230 basically gives these private tech companies the power to remove content at their pleasure, at their will, even if it is constitutionally protected speech, it's it's an immunization. Uh, it gives them the power. It's, 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 it's a legislative punt. They literally take the football and they're like, you know, what? we have no idea, especially in 1996. You have to understand, go back and even look up the makeup of Congress. Who's voting on this? Like they had no idea what the Internet was. They're in the middle of a huge market rush where everybody's making money. Bah, we don't care. You know, protect yourselves, AOL, because we need to protect. Probably there was a I have to imagine at this point there was a huge motivation of like, let's protect our stock quotes because we're all making a lot of money here. So why would we even why would we want to deal with this? We don't want to deal with with what's going on in the Internet. Again, it was it's, it's, it's something that was in its infancy back then. You're looking at a. I don't want to say old document, but you're, you're looking at old law to solve new problems, to solve new conceptualized issues in terms of speech. And we can go back. You know, I think that's that's why some people like especially especially in terms of the Declaration of Independence of Cyberspace, like how prescient is that where they basically just tell everybody, no, 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 no. The best way to do this is it's a free for all. Don't come here. We are from the future. We're telling you that if you try to arbitrate this and this is as a conservative, how we have to struggle with like, do we really want to arbitrate this through bigger government? Like, do we because that can get flipped. That can get flipped instantaneously. That seems to be the tension in so these professors, these conservative professors, they're all well, I don't know if they're all members of the Federal Society. That would be I'm gonna make sure I don't make that statement. Why? And I don't, I don't know that they're all I don't know that they're all conservative <laughs> yeah. either, but 
in my mind, at least based on what I know about them, they're somewhat conservative law professors, and I love them. I've, they're fantastic. The constitutional law scholars of the school and the tension between their conversation was, well, if you're saying that the private companies should not be the arbiters of, tr of truth or rather what gets seen, what information gets on the table for consumption or not, then your argument is what? That the yes. government should be the argument, uh, should be the arbiter. And that's the thing. It was like you have a conservative law professor saying that government should decide. And it's it's an interesting, I don't want to call it a quackmire, but it's an interesting question. You know, I don't think the question is who is gonna who who should decide what's true. That's a ridiculous question. I mean, <clears throat> come on, what's true? I mean. You just have to live life and decide for yourself what's true. But what content should be allowed to be visible for consumption? That's the question. Who, do, who should decide that? Uh, who, what are the pros and cons of having the government do it? Um, well, you know, if it goes to the courts, it's not efficient, maybe. You know, it's, uh, you know, every, you know, the professor literally suggested, and he's a conservative guy, I, I think. He suggested, well, let's say you're on Facebook and you make a comment that is flagged, the, the bots flag it for uh, being potentially insightful, right? And and what happens when it gets flagged? Uh, it goes right to the court. It's straight to the court for a determination on, you know, if it's protected speech or not. Another And another suggestion was, why don't we add a category, uh, protected class to the civil rights legislation, um, so that you cannot be discriminated based on your political ideology. And one of the professors says, well, that's ridiculous. You, political ideology is nothing like race, like an immutable characteristic, like something you can't change. So those characteristics are supposed to be protected because you can't change them. You can't change what sex you are. You can't change um, who you love. You can't change uh, you know, what race you are. Uh, but you can change your political ideology. So is it appropriate to add that class, right? Pretty interesting. I, I, what if I blew your mind and told you that the arbiters of who should at least dis, at least filter out what information you are and aren't getting? How about parents? When did that ever happen? When, like, when did that ever change? When did we all of a sudden look, man? I, I don't think the I don't think the state should be determining truth for any any kid. I think that's happening a lot, and that, that's a totally different subject i think that's happened to a certain extent in schools to where we haven't learned certain history that we should and i think you're seeing a huge backlash now to where in, a, in an effort to overdo it people are being punished for their immutable characteristics but that's an entirely different subject that wow so no no tell me a little bit about that well, I, so I just think if you're gonna it sounds like you're saying you're not necessarily for critical race theory oh, or God, 1619 no. God, curriculum no. God, no. but it sounds like you're for uh I, I, potentially yeah revising curriculums to be a little bit more transparent about some of the original sins? I'll put it to you this way. I don't think anybody from at least our age group ever learned anything about Black Wall Street. And I think that's pathetic. I think you have to look at the lens of this country. Not a clue. Not a clue. I didn't learn anything about it until Bad. I had to, we had to Tell find me out about it, please. Can you tell well, me now? Or? Well, basically, the, you know, there was a certain historians have kind of differed on what the cause was. And we don't have to get into that. But basically, there was an affluent at pro affluent, very um, predominantly black area of Tulsa that was essentially bombed by the state. 
and totally waylaid, never to be seen again. I mean, that's basically what happened Pri- by private actors and the state combined. You don't get bombs just by private, you know, farmers flying uh, a Molotovs over, over an area, I would assume, right? Probably not. No, probably not. So that that's you got to assume they were they were helped at least by local cops. Which, if you're a psycho anti-statist like me, you do consider local cops part of the state. Like, I'm sorry, they're the first apparatus of it. As of course much they as, are. Of course, as much as listen, police. You know, of course, they couldn't be. Um, they are the physical embodiment and, of the state. Now, listen, I'm not saying a cab or anything like that. Obviously, I support the, I support our people in blue. You know, the men and women. I think they have an extremely Absolutely. hard job and they're under fire. So but at I. the same time. At the same, you know, at the same time, just from from my perspective, they are the first. They're the first avenue of the state. They're the first way the state's going to effectuate the way the way they go about it. So you have to assume there was at least some state action in that. We didn't learn anything about it. That has to be taught in history classes. I'm sorry, I don't need to learn. I don't. Uh, for whatever reason, at least Jeremiah Johnson. Yeah, I I, mean, I don't need to learn. I about mean, the, Mountain Man. I, I suppose we got so into Reconstruction that I remember thinking, like, man, shouldn't we just learn more about like the twenties and thirties and forties? And to go into a point you had made previously about that professor, you know, you brought up the professor that had talked about. Well, we had the media was dominated by Republicans in, in the 20s. We had radio and then that or I'm, I'm sorry, in the 20s, we had they dominated newspapers in the 30s and 40s that delved its way out into into radio. What's changed? Well, what's changed is everything. How about that? TV is now not a nonstop medium where people can get their news and information on multiple channels. And I promise you, you might have your favorite in terms of Fox or MSNBC. They all have their own political slant. You're not getting the I think we, most of most of the audience would agree. You're not getting the straight news. It's not Cronkite. That's that's the uh, anchor person on either one of those networks mj have you seen the documentary on netflix i used to recommend it to people all the time it was so good it's called best of enemies i have not are you familiar at all with um william f buckley i know you know yes so i'm assuming that's going to be about buckley and um gorvidal gorvidal yes let me just tell the audience quickly about it basically I believe it was the late 60s. Um, there were like three television networks, something like that. ABC was one of them. And I think they were struggling and they were the least successful. And the story apparently is that they ABC couldn't even afford to send one of their uh, camera crews and an anchor to cover the presidential election. I don't remember who was running. I think it was like 68 or something like that. But... So ABC had to say, what are we going to do? We, we don't have enough money to go there and cover the Republican National Convention. I believe it was one of the conventions. So we're just going to shoot some TV in our studio. What are we going to do? So the first time ever where they said, okay, we're going to take someone with this viewpoint and we're going to take someone with another viewpoint and we're going to pit them against each other. And it was like the first it was the birth of punditry and it's a fascinating, they had like 10 debates or something and it was, it's so dramatic and incredible. And the debates are wonderful. I mean, two beautifully well-spoken gentlemen who can represent their ideas gracefully. And it was just so good. But what it did is it gave birth to the industry of punditry, took us away from that straight newsman, um, news anchor, and it just, and it was a ratings thing. And it was the birth of that industry where everything became about ratings. And so, yes, I'm starting this podcast because I believe the mainstream media 
is not helping. And I don't, I'm not, you know, looking at any one person or one company and saying, shame on you. I'm just saying as a whole, the industry does seem to be programmed with the intention of, well, not necessarily promoting free debate. I think that's clear. That's just clear. And it's, it's annoying. And I think a lot of people are just annoyed by it. And so when Trump came out with fake media or fake news, he sure, he sure did catch on to something that he knew that people don't like the media largely because they don't feel like it's honest largely. A lot of it is. I'm not media bashing, but it's tough. It's a, because the news media landscape is so different today. Trump knew it. Trump is a news guy, right? He loves the newspaper. He's a media guy. He knew that the media landscape today is very rocky and bumpy. And he latched onto that. Can I, can I media bash? Don't, spend don't, an hour media don't. But I think there's no, such a we huge agree. I do. I think there's such a huge cause. I, we, you know, I do. I think, unfortunately, and that's, that's, as I think conservative media is as guilty of it as I'm, I'm not saying I'm only going to focus on, on one part of media bashing. Now I will inherently say the media is more liberal, obviously, of course, that would be my perspective, but at the same time, like, you know, you get your, and here's the other thing that, that I think conservatives do a bad job of. You get your, I want to say silver linings of, of hope. Like John McWhorter from the Atlantic is brilliant. I normally can't stand the Atlantic. I'm going to read John McWhorter because I think the guy's a, a tremendous social commentator. And I think the guy has a perspective that I obviously cannot share. We're from two wildly different backgrounds. He is very, he's phenomenal in being able to take his perspective, put it on paper. And it's like, you know what, even if I don't agree with a lot of what you're saying, wow, like, okay, I'm seeing things, at least I'm seeing it differently now in a way that is cogent and in a way that at least is straightforward. And I don't think is, is inherently dishonest in any way. Why can't we have more of that is my point. You know, it, it's just, I don't understand why everything's got to be so true. Well, I know why we can't have more of that. You it doesn't know, make you money. Said the me no, exactly. You said the media, the media is, the media is not in any sort of position to do anything, but make money. There's a, there's so much money in tribalism mm, as we've seen. That's it. The blueprint was, the blueprint was created by Fox. Everybody else latched on and they were like, all right, well, I don't know if the blueprint was the, the television blueprint was absolutely created by Fox. I think they were the first to really decide to go, you know what, we're going to, we're going to gear towards half the country part partially in response, partially in response to the fact that they probably looked at a market opportunity because they said, Hey, half the country's got nowhere to go. Oh, no doubt. So why, why wouldn't you, but look how divisive and, and just destructive it's been towards everybody. And so back to the John Stuart Mill question, look, more speech is the answer. Just let it. It's fine. And I tend to feel that way. And this was the question. So the, the professors had this long, tedious constitutional debate about whether Congress through Section 230 should continue to allow tech companies to deplatform people uh, at no risk of being liable. And at the end of it, this guy the student said, um, professors, yeah, I have a question. Uh, doesn't this entire conversation assume that the American people are incapable of figuring out for themselves what they believe? And he said, I just remember this guy said, I remember in fifth grade being told, don't yep. cite Wikipedia. Like you got to do some investigating. And it was so funny because that was always the thought I had as well. I remember whether it was fourth or fifth grade being in journalism class as well. And I'm a little older than this student. And being taught, hey, think for yourself, get multiple sources. And I do think people are intelligent. And so 
that's why I get frustrated with the news media because it's so insulting. It's just, gosh, like, can you please try to be neutral? I mean, just, I know it's a hard thing to do and nearly impossible, I'm sure, as I'm sure I'll find out, to draw the line between your opinion and trying to be neutral and what is fact and what is true. Life is blurry in some respects. It's clear in some respects. We got to live for ourselves. Sometimes these news anchors drive me crazy when they they don't give you any room to think for yourself. It's sickening. It's sickening. So cancel culture. I think the point for uh, me is I will cut in. I, I, you know, it's end. funny you brought up Netflix and I'm actually going to absolutely, I'm, I'm uh, Buckley's got such an interesting legacy just in terms of how, yeah, he really William does. So I'm going to watch that just even though it's Netflix and to tie it back to another Netflix documentary I saw, did you ever see their Netflix, uh, nobody speak trials of the free press? Never heard of it. Okay. Basically it's Netflix's way of trying to somehow tie cancel culture to the fact to tie in the topic we're talking about to tie into the fact that the free press is under attack. It's they who are under attack from cancel culture. Gawker was canceled for reporting truth. And that is why they were, that is why they were canceled. And I have to tell you, I find that so sickening because if you really know the details behind that, first of all, to me, cancel culture is not, you know, there, there is, I hate to, I hate to look at things in sort of a classist way, but I'm sorry. There is a difference between say anyone of a certain uh, affluence, whether it be Gina Carano or somebody else getting canceled as opposed to the truck driver that gives an okay sign that is cancel culture, the truck driver giving an okay sign, the guy that loses his job mm. from San Diego power and electric. And I'm not sure if you saw that, that was uh, maybe about a I year saw ago. You said it to me last I, night. I, mean, I didn't, I had not heard of it. Think about how insane. That's from 2020, right? It was from last year. This is not something. This is this is here and now. You know, as much as I sympathize with Gina Carano getting fired for ridiculousness, as far as I'm concerned, for making, you know, listen, I have been saying since 2000, since this really became in vogue in our society to call the other side, you're a Nazi. You're a Nazi. You know what, man? I don't know to talk about how we grew up. I, I, granted, I, I'm not Jewish. You are, so I'm sure you have a very, very specific and and raw feeling towards that i at least you know we all read night right we all read ellie weissel i read mouse as a kid to me to compare someone to a nazi just because they're your political opponent or because they're saying things you might find offensive that is extremely safe that is something you should not be marjorie doing. taylor green yes I, absolutely she's so she's so 100 it's so embarrassing but that's beside the point I, you know like but man have you seen her do pull-ups well, she's got biceps. I mean, you know. Do you see, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not on Twitter at all, but somehow I logged onto Twitter the other day and I came across like she had posted a video of herself deadlifting and doing pull ups, which is fantastic. I'm all for it. But, um, Unless I'm really ignorant to the latest trend, I don't unless, think that's how you do pull-ups. No, that's not how you do pull-ups, and you also don't compare. You don't make – again, this is very I, – I, I think I preface my comment by saying this. This is happening on both sides, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It comes from the left as well, no to doubt. The worst, to, the, to the absolute worst human atrocity we've had in the last – I don't know, like, impossibly, I mean, like, it's, it's so, so lazy. lazy. It's, it's so lazy. lazy. It's so lazy. I find it to be completely offensive. Everyone should just stop it. Silly and offensive and really pathetic. But to tie, to, tie, to tie it back, you know, like, 
I, okay, I think Gina Carano is guilty of a lazy, pathetic, very lazy, very pathetic comparison. She's also guilty of something that, that people that are employed by that same company have been doing for the last, you know, five years. So you can't mete out punishment in a separate fashion, in my opinion. You know what I'm saying? Pedro Pascal didn't get fired for and nor should he. Nor should he be canceled. I'm not arguing that anyone what should did he be say? canceled. I don't think he should have gotten fired. But I believe Pascal made a comparison. He's the guy who played the, uh, the lead role comparison. in The Mandalorian. He played What he did played he do? Yes. Or say? I, he made a he made a comparison between I believe Trump and and uh, Hitler. Which listen, man, whatever. I again, I think I think it's a very lazy comparison for the same. I mean, we live. We can now say the Trump administration is over. No, it's funny when someone from the left does it. He's so right. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! But you know, again, lazy heart. Like not a good comparison. Not something you should do. You cannot then meet out punishment in a different sense. I think that's an aspect of cancel culture. But even having said that, Gina Carano is going to be fine. She's going to find some sort of. Well, know, that's the point. Section two thirty. Some would say allows these tech companies to do that to meet out punishment in a different, in, in a totally biased way. Whatever. So. There's no, there's, well, there's, there's no question it happens. And it just, just bring it back to the point. Like for the same reason, I don't really care that much about Gina Carano. I don't want to hear from Netflix about Gawker being canceled unjustly, especially because if you know the situation of actually what happened, and of course I'm intimately, intimately familiar as a Hulk Hogan fan, they were sued because they violated. Okay. They release a nude video of Hulk Hogan basically under the, under the guise of, you know, this is for public dis consumption. It's newsworthy, blah, blah, blah. The court tells them, no, it's not. This is ridiculous. This is a sex tape of Hulk Hogan. Really? No one's <laughs> going to care about this, which even as a diehard Hulkamaniac, I am never watching that. I'm never having my mm. mind blow. You know what I mean? There's no way there's certain things I just don't want to know. But then they decide in the face of a federal injunction, what are you going to do? We're just going to do it anyway because Hulk Hogan doesn't have the – even Hulk Hogan, mind you, never mind the common citizen they could do this to, doesn't have the kind of money that he's going to be able to tie us. We'll tie him up in court to the fact that we'll just get away with it. Unfortunately for Gawker, they had made an enemy out of Peter Thiel who became a member of the Trump administration, tech billionaire, gay man, by the way, in the Trump administration. Just want to point that out you know, for all the Trump is a Nazi, Trump blah, 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 whatever. As we've said that, we've covered that's a lazy argument. Um Bringing it back to the point, Field bankrolls Hogan. Hogan basically sues them successfully because they violated a court injunction. And in the typical like media media way they're going to spin it, you're going to be the victim of cancel culture now? No, you violated a court order not to disseminate something. You did it anyway because you thought that the person that was suing you, who was, by the way, a multimillionaire, didn't have enough money to follow it through. He got the help of a billionaire. You lost. Sorry, that is not cancel culture. Liz Cheney, I, I, I see Liz Cheney being brought up as an example of cancel culture. She is not an example of cancel culture. I'm sorry. She is a politician, whether you agree or disagree with the current stance that she has taken, that is being held to account for her opinion because that is her job. Your job as a politician is to be held, for account, held to account for your opinion. You might lose a chairship if you go against that of the broader coalition of those you purport to represent. That is not cancel culture. Truck driver giving an okay sign, regular guy giving an okay sign, thanks to now sensibilities that absolutely part and parcel, bringing it back to section, section 230, have been promulgated by these huge tech conglomerates basically saying, this is the arbiter of truth. We're going to go by, say, the ADL that, I'm sorry, to the anti-defamation League. I usually agree with a lot of what you have to say, obviously. For you to say that the OK sign, which is something that everybody has used for the past 
I don't even know how long. We're not going to quantify how long they've used it. Certainly since my lifetime, everybody's used the okay sign. You are now going to say that is a white supremacist symbol because it grew out of a main, out of a meme from just the bowels of the internet that normal, you're not, 95% of people would go, what? We don't even know what, what 4chan is. You're now going to say that's hate speech and it's now going to cost a truck driver for San Diego Power and Electric who's 75% Latino. Like, the guy is Spanish. He, I believe he was 75% Spanish, a quarter Irish. That guy gets fired now for being a white supremacist. And That's he claims he was just cracking his knuckles out the window. Just cracking of his, car. his knuckles out the window. Whether he was car. or he was, let's say, just happened to be in the shape of an OK sign. You know, either way, he lost his job because someone followed him, videotaped him, and said he was displaying a white power symbol, right? And that that is that is an issue because yeah. to bring it back to Section 230, I, I firmly believe in the prevalence of social media now. It is the predominant way an entire generation of people get their audience. That has been promulgated to be a hate symbol by by Twitter and Facebook. If you say it's not, you're going to reach at least some sort of consequence where you're going to get, you know, you're going to get a warning from the moderators or something like that. Go say it's not on ADL. I guarantee you, you're at least mm. going to get banned from their page. There's going to be no discussion about it. Yeah, that's really interesting. And oh, Wow. You know, <laughs> this is the logical extension is my point. And this is why I don't think 230 is equipped to uh, a law written in 1996. Again, when our main Internet provider was America Online, which isn't even I mean, what do they do now? They, they were part of a failed merger and they're a dinosaur. They are a dinosaur compared to the providers of today and compared to the platforms of today. We couldn't even comprehend what social media was. Social media was literally weird. That home screen on AOL. Right. Remember, I, I I will say you should enjoy being told I got mail. It was a nice reminder because I don't check it near. I don't check it a nearly enough. Simpler time, you know. Right? You know, it was a simpler time, and for me, and I think for you, and I think for many people, they're thinking to themselves, "Man, I remember a time where we could have different ideas and just move past, agree it. to disagree, and not be so sensitive and so." just wound up and it's okay to have differing views and okay. You know, let me say one thing now about labels, Republican and Democrat. I think the common misconception, because I have a lot of conservative friends and you're one of them, the comment, and it was a mutual friend of ours uh, that made this comment to me. And I thought it was really powerful. He said, the common misconception is that conservatives don't care about poor people. They don't care about um, people who are who have have it tough in life. And the it's clear to me that the difference between a Democrat and a Republican is a Democrat believes that the state should have more involvement in bringing about a more just society, and Republicans believe that the state should have less involvement in bringing about a just society and that the just society that we, they acknowledge the Republicans acknowledge that we are not yet at our most just society. I don't know of one Republican that would honestly say we're living in a perfect country. So the difference is conservatives say the way to bring people in to success, the way to bring, you know, the classic, you know, rising tides lifts all boats. And I don't mean to be making a um, trickle down economics argument. Uh, so I, I hope I'm not, but I'm just trying to say that I think the conservative argument is the system we have of property rights and relative freedom to contract, 
that's the way to bring people in that have traditionally been out. And then Democrats say, no, they're never going to succeed in the system we have of capitalism. So you're just jerks for even suggesting that. And I do think that a lot of people on the left have a cancel culture mentality towards people on the right, and they are not giving them enough credit for being human beings and deplatforming, taking Trump off media, taking whoever off media. It's, it's a tricky issue. Um, you could make arguments on both sides. Um, there seems to be a need for reform and we're not going to figure it out today what that is, but it's interesting with section 230 and the impulse in society that I do think there is today, mostly among the left, which is to feel morally superior and it gives them a right in their minds to cut you out, cancel you. So I think is tied to a sense of moral superiority that I think is not helpful. If you believe in your ideas, just believe in your ideas and let them grapple. Well, in, in fairness too, and you know, far be it for this to be to turn into a mutual admiration society where I'm therefore I feel so because you would you would kind of uh, admonish the left. I have to kind of stick up for him because I don't feel that way at all, quite frankly. But I do think that a lot. What did you know, I say that you disagree with? Here, here's the thing: I don't I don't disagree with any of it. I think you're 100 percent right. But I I do think yes, there is a. I, listen, I see the moral superiority every day. You can't tell me that there's not. I totally dis- I totally agree with that. But I think if you're especially an old school liberal, you're going to say, yeah, but what about the early 90s when you had the fit, you know, the, the parent teacher councils and, you know, the right, the, the censorship groups, those were predominantly from the right. I don't disagree with that. I, I, I think if you're I think if you're someone on the left, that's now going to make the argument of, well, wait a minute, you guys were the originators of cancel culture. Now you, now you guys don't want it. Like how hypocritical. I think there's some truth to that, except to say, first of all cancel culture is a lot more it's a lot more bipartisan in its origins than you would than you would think yes you had the religious right seeking to flat out actually you know i mean listen you you had a huge religious right lobby seeking to ban consenting adults from getting married which to me violates every sort of free free less government principle you could have right for years the for years the conservative movement failed to get behind the gay marriage movement because they were beholden to a more religious aspect of of their constituency that is that's something you have to grapple with. So especially if you're a member of that community, you're like, wait a minute, you tried to cancel my marriage. Like you can't now say like, hey, our ideals, our ideas should be freewheeling. I think there's some truth to that. But at the same time, why would you want to become like when did it become cool to become censor censorious? You know what I mean? When did that become the fashionable thing to do is to say, hey, that's not allowed. Why? When did free thinking ever become something that was not supposed to be the order of the day, I suppose, just because I I, I think it, I think if you allow that sort of the anti-censorship position to me is a f- – it's more of an argument of pro-faith in people's sense – in the, the sensibility of the majority, that the majority are going to look at bad ideas and the majority are going to say, you know something? I, I don't agree with this. I'm sorry. Like th- th- I, I can read it. I can discern it. I can determine for myself this is a horrible idea and I don't agree. To me, when you start censoring people, you start giving merit to their ideas, okay? There is no doubt in my mind Alex Jones grew a much larger platform after the first time he was censored because then people said, well, wait a minute. What's he saying? Why do they want to ban him? Why you know what I mean? Like it's the logical. He must way. really be. Juicy. He must really be onto something, right? Like that. That's obviously what they're gonna. That's a natural reaction to thinking that. I believe the old Game of Thrones uh, uh, quote is "cut off a man's tongue" or whatever, and that's that's not even from Game of Thrones, but I know Tywin used it, so whatever. It's his now, but um, it's just a matter. It's just a matter of having faith in people's ability to determine what they're reading. You know, I'll give you another example. 
you were talking about the difference in terms of what what Democrats and Republicans believe, how the state should have more intervention, and how it's really incumbent, you know, in terms of Republicans, it's really incumbent upon us. I'll give you the, I'll give you the bakery example in Colorado, where the baker said, you know, pursuant to my, I'm a private business, pursuant to my religious beliefs, I am not going to bake your cake for a gay marriage. No offense, I'm not doing it. I don't think that's the right way a private business should should act. I think everybody's money's green. I still think, especially in the in the relative context of a bakery. You can just go to the one down the street. You know what I'm saying? The free market, the free market wins. The free market will provide that couple with their cake. Like, and every baker is not going to say no. Like, there's gonna, of course, there's gonna be a baker that says, "Yeah, I'll bake your cake. Fine, your money." In the same mindset I would have, in the, in the free market mindset of your money is green, I will take it. I, I think that that is the core. That's just, I wish that was the mindset we had in terms of uh, in terms of social media. It's clearly decidedly not at this point, and I think Section Two Thirty does protect those that want it not to be that way, where they're going to basically dictate and. Yeah, so Section Two Thirty for bakers would basically say, "Okay, baker, you can turn down the gay couple." And be totally protected from a discrimination lawsuit because we've given you that blanket. Yeah, that'd be the equivalent, right? No, that's it's it's not the equivalent because in terms of that, there's so bakeries are more prevalent than social media providers, especially major ones, and they're more prevalent. For example, if Section Two Thirty worked, the bakery that saw that the bakery that saw that that couple being treated that way that said, "I want to open up." They'd be allowed to open up. They'd be allowed to take their money. I think we've seen in the social media context, Parler, it's kind of a flip, right? Because Parler's supposed to be the conservative way, or at least a conservative site, which again, I hate the idea that we're even going to delve into that. I think it's such a bad, bad idea. But Parler tried to open up, and then the other bakery was so powerful, they said, no, we're going to crush you at every turn. You're not going to even be able to open. We're going to set fire to your store. Why do you, let me ask you a question. Sure. Why do you think it's such a bad idea to have these echo ch- <laughs> Look, I mean, I'm asking you, and I, I, I've always, I, I think I agree with you, but so I think being exposed to these arguments, it's like, what about the argument that look, just add more echo chambers, and eventually, people are smart enough to parse information, I, or is the echo chamber of today in the so in the internet so different and so all-consuming? Is it just a different type of thing? So and that's I, why it should I be terrifying. The, I think the echo chamber of today is different in that there's a social aspect to it. And not only that, it's all encompassing. It's literally at your fingertips. You know what I'm saying? You can just fire out information at it at a moment's pace and be on there all day. Um, and in that respect, I think I think I think the echo chamber in any respect, whether it's conservative, liberal, otherwise, that is the way to get caught up in bad information because you're not having anybody provide a check. You're not having anybody. Listen, I uh, full disclosure, and this is why I think some of the argument in turn. This is why I appreciate people like John McWhorter. I appreciate people on the the quote unquote left speaking against cancel culture. Uh, Langston, Langston, um, you, you, you're. I mean, you really. I appreciate people like you. You're you're speaking against cancel culture from a position of I would I would certainly say I would I, you know you're left, you're center left, you're very moderate. I would assume, and that's what makes you very good for this type of podcast. But it can't come from someone who's going to say, "Listen, I I thought Trump was a good president." You know what I mean? People are going to immediately dismiss my opinion because of that. They're immediately going to say, like, well, he liked Trump. Of course, I don't agree with anything he says. But I think a product of immediately dismissing my opinion is the echo chamber. I think the echo chamber allows for that because you can just revel in opinions that agree with yours. You're not going to get challenged. Having said that, as much as I like, you know, as much as I, I don't want to say as much as I like Trump, but as much as I thought he was a good president, I had my own criticisms. And I think a frustration, the other frustration, the big frustration with the echo chamber is as much as I had my own criticisms, I didn't see those borne out because I saw ridiculous. For example, I thought Jeff Sessions was an incredibly objectionable pick for attorney general for a number of reasons, personal and otherwise. I, I, 
to see Cory Booker, on the other hand, not bring up, not orate those positions as to why he would be objectionable from a left of center point of view, even from that matter, a right of center point of view, things like civil asset forfeiture, our prison population just being totally out of control. Instead of that, he's bringing up the fact that, that Sessions might have a race record that's objectionable when, meanwhile, the year before, he's marching with him at Selma. Like, come on, man. Why Why would you do that except to appease, again, the echo chamber? Why would you do that except so people can get their hit of endorphins on Facebook and, and Twitter where they go, yeah, Booker, way to speak up, when, meanwhile, there's serious, serious debate that gets lost. There's serious information that gets lost. There's serious- Almost like the tribalism that you always hear about in Washington, D.C. has just been exponentially multiplied it's- by the echo chambers of the internet. I agree. And that's the problem. The tribalism that is natural has been exacerbated. And now we're at a point where <laughs> free speech and open debate, rational civil discussion is at a premium, I guess. It's hard. It's hard to have. Unfortunately, I think it's very hard to have when you consider, you know, should certain, you said, Deplatforming is obviously inherent to any cancel culture debate. I, I think there are, listen, I think there are certain people that, again, the free market will provide will be deplatformed just because really, no, like, how many people really want to listen to someone with hate, with a hateful ideology, honestly, at this point in our lives? So do you agree that, I mean, I don't, the point of this show is not to put you on the spot, sure. but you, th- you know, let me put you on the spot just for the hell of it. Think Trump was right, it was right to ban Trump from these platforms? Oh. No, I do not. No, I, I, you're saying, I absolutely. You're saying you can imagine a situation where it would be appropriate. Yes, absolutely. Okay, gotcha. I think there. I, I, I'll put it to you this way. I don't think. On one hand, I think David Duke's again. I think David Duke's rhetoric is so objectionable in and of itself that you're going to get the 97, 98, 99 percent that look at that and go, you know, excuse my language. What a fuck joke. That guy. Yeah. What? Who wants to listen to this guy? I think that'll bear itself out. So at the same time, then, do I defeat my own argument for deplatforming? I don't know. Maybe we've never really seen it. Bear What's the out, John Stuart Mill thing? You know, it is it is? Oh, no, I guess. I mean, I I'm not an expert in uh, his philosophy, but would John Stuart Mill be in favor of deplatforming? Um, that would be an interesting answer. You know, what what his nuanced answer might be would be cool. I, I, well, the problem is, too, we don't know if we were able to take John Stuart Mill's brain and just show him like, he was operating on information from back in the day, right? Where the guy just gets up on the towns in the town square in parliament. He lets but maybe the know. principle still applies. I mean, of course, it, it, there are some everlasting principles. And I think he would look at me possibly as, as a wimp saying, like, well, we might have to deplatform some people when he's saying, no, go for it all. The free, you know, the free market of ideas will determine that David Duke's an asshole. You know what I'm saying? But at the same time, to answer your question, since you did put me on the spot, for big tech to deplatform Trump, first of all, when I mean there are tweets where he's saying no violence, we're not going to engage in violence, right? Especially in the backdrop of some of the tweets we saw, and this is an entirely different debate, and I don't necessarily, you know, it, it could be another show, but the entirety of the backdrop of this summer, what we saw from certain political figures and their actions in supporting bail funds, when we saw some of our cities go on fire, if you're going to do it on that backdrop, and I'll, I'll even contextualize it because we do everything, everything, we, we view everything is so American, right? Because we're American, of course, everything's in our context for the leader of the free world. You have the Ayatollah on Twitter, literally saying death to america death to this person death to that person like can we deplat and and to bring it to bring it closer to home i was i was given a suspension on twitter for just
just telling the Ayatollah to just die already when he said death to America on one of his diatribes, which I wear as a badge of honor. Thank you, Jack Dorsey. But for the, if you're going to be so arbitrary, doesn't that then prove the entire point that Section 230 is flawed and that look how arbitrary and capricious they're actually going to meter out punishment? Look at how they do it. And you, in, in a sense, they almost have to because this is why it's almost thankful China. This is, well, this is why the state of China, the country of China, has their own – they have Weibo. They're not going to deal if – you, if you can't be beholden to a government, we're not going to even deal with you. And unfortunately, they, they use theirs in such an evil and nefarious way that it kind of shows the evils of government intervention in this process. But at the same time, you see the absurdity of Section 230 allowing these people to meter out punishment when you see the Ayatollah and ISIS being – ISIS had a Twitter account for four years. They were never touched. You're going to ban Trump because uh, he said no violence on the day of the insurrection? I, I don't get it. Yeah. So it seems to me that in all cases in society, politics, law, whether it's guns or anything, whether it's guns or uh, censorship, it's always going to be a question of what, where's the line? Um, you know, it's probably ridiculous to say, well, it's, it's always wrong to remove some content. Like, if you have a video of someone murdering someone, all right, in a in a gruesome way, um, do we want that content on there? So probably not, right? So where's the line in terms of guns? Uh, can I have a pistol? Can I have an ache? I'm so ignorant with guns. I'm going to do another episode. I'll learn about it and have a great guest, and we'll do an episode on guns. But where's the line? I mean, you can't have a grenade launcher. So the law is always going to be about where's the line. And with censorship, it's very touchy, very tricky. And I, I think there's no getting around the fact that the internet and these echo chambers have presented us with a new problem. And that is, how are we going to deal with this? Are we going to treat these big tech companies as public utilities, um, as common carriers, um, and regulate them with the government? Uh, is that what we should do? What should we do? Uh, well, you know, we'll have to explore that, but it's no doubt a question a lot of people are asking, and for good reason. Scary to think that you might be canceled for expressing your opinion in a situation where you've caused no harm. Well, it's, it's, it's happening, and that's of course the social aspect of this entire thing. The government, you know, the government aspect of Section Two Thirty should it be repealed? I obviously have a very clear cut answer. I think it's an antiquated. Now, as you said, and I think you put it very succinctly and, and eloquently, the it's tricky. Where is the line? We, I honestly, I don't know um, to answer the question. But at the same time, just because you don't have a sufficient answer doesn't mean you should be employing a solution that is clearly not working. I, I think it's, I, you know, and I think other, and I honestly, I think that's a bipartisan, truly, I think in some respect, that's a bipartisan answer. You know, some people think, think Section 230 allows too much. Other people think it doesn't allow enough. Uh, clearly, I'm one of the people that thinks, thinks it doesn't allow enough. To the people that thinks it allows too much, I would respectfully disagree. But if you're going to take that position, then at the, very, at the very least, we can come together and agree. It's not working. This is not a cogent solution. So my point, I, I mean, I don't know, I guess my point would be let's trash it in favor of a total free-for-all. And not a total free for all because I did just say let's let's. Yeah, I was going to say yeah, I thought you were in favor of. Uh... Well, here's the thing. You know what? Here's here's the problem, and maybe this just is evolution in the last ten minutes. As much as we can ask the question of where's the line, it is always socially that is always going to change. 
within 10 to 20 years, right? Think about within the past 10 years, what we've seen in terms of social change and what's acceptable and what's not. Episodes of The Office, which I consider to be hilarious, but also relatively benign, would not be allowed anymore. Um, Community, where is a recent episode in which Chang, who is played by the hilarious Ken Jeong, it had to get taken off because he he participates in where he is uh, playing a Dungeons and Dragons Dungeons and Dragons game, paints his face black. Well, that's blackface. We have to take it off. So if that's your line, if that's your line now, which I find to be completely absurd, where is it going to be twenty years from now? Is my point. Like, I, I, Kelly. I, yeah, you know the problem is Megan, Megan Kelly was a big example of that, where it's just like she's saying things that, in my opinion, are benign, but the line is now being skewed. And I'm so not much saying she point. didn't say anything inappropriate, but. That was, to some degree, an example of cancel culture. Um, and I don't want to get myself in trouble here. I just remember thinking to myself, wow, can she not apologize and move on? Well, the problem, and again, this is the problem with metering out punishment. This is this is where cancel culture becomes odious. If we're going to fire Megyn Kelly for that, and listen, I'm not saying, and again, I think there's a huge difference in Megyn Kelly actually engaging and dressing up in blackface as opposed to a China, an Asian man doing it to play an elf on a TV show. We have to cancel that. You know what I mean? Like that there's, there's nuance to everything. The where's the line? Again, yeah. where's the line? But if, if we're going to, you know, if we're going to take this sort of professional punishment on Megan Kelly, who I have no love lost for, I don't think she's tremendously good at her job. How is Ralph Northam have his job? How is that possible? Governor of Virginia. Yeah. How is the governor of Virginia yeah. still have his job for blatantly engaging in like the most offensive type of blackface? You could Governors appear to have the ability to hold out. Isn't that unbelievable? I think Cuomo has <laughs> sort of proven that if you have the pop, if well, you can hold out if you have the press on your side, right? Because initially during COVID, he was the grand knight and Ron DeSantis was the worst, most incompetent person. Well, he had him but initially. They, they, they had, had him in the third inning, then it had to flip once you had the obvious, you know, I mean, and again, I... How many women does it take, unfortunately, to finally get a guy how to many, show some light, How many guys does it take to screw in a light bulb for Andrew Cuomo? Oh, my God. It's just unbelievable. Like, apparently, he has proven the power that if you just power through, you will get past the initial. Plant your feet. Because yeah, yeah. I will tell you right now, I firmly believe he is going to win re-election in the state. So there you go. He's going to run again. He's going to win re-election. It's going to happen. I, I don't know what else to tell people. People think I'm being a pessimist. Whatever. Marion Barry once won an election after there was video footage of him smoking crack back there in the crack epidemic. That's just unfortunately. But again, listen, what am I going to do? Decry democracy? That's the will of the people. If he wins, he should be the governor. That's just the way it is. I personally think his actions are odious. But, but that's we're getting away from the point of how is this person, uh, you know. It, no, we're really not. We're not. It goes back to me, the meeting of the punishment of how is this person allowed to continue to do it? Let the people doing? decide. Are people capable of that is, deciding I, I, for I themselves? Guess. And I and I think I think the, well, John Stewart's mill view and so I, I, I I believe it, and I think the traditional view has been: let pe- you know, people can decide. Question is: Are we in a place now? A professor put it really well. Let me let me end with this quote, because one of the students at the very end, remember, he said, "Doesn't this whole discussion assume that we as Americans are not able to think critically and you know don't cite Wikipedia and that kind of thing?" Professor responds: If people are denied information consistently, denied and consistently den- denied information. That's the problem. It goes on for too long, the den- denial of information. You know, for a while, he's saying, look, censorship is happening now, but we have enough backlog of ideas. We are aware of the conservative ideas uh, to where it's still in the ecosystem. But if it goes on for too long and those ideas eventually filter out, then eventually we're only swimming in the ocean 
that the monoculture has given us. And so that was an interesting line. And so it is a concern um, for both sides. If you're in favor of rational, free debate, it is a concern. But the question is, are we still at a point in society where rational people can think rationally? Or is the internet so different and the echo chambers online so different by algorithm and this and that, that we actually, even though we're rational and smart people, we are actually up against a, a steep fight in terms of disturbing echo chambers. So it's an interesting question of what the answer is. Is it more speech? Is it less speech? We don't want to be, we don't want to lose our character as Americans, but it's all very interesting. MJ, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap it up? Enjoy the long weekend. <laughs> <laughs> what a jerk. How can you do that? We all know what the weekend's for. To the brave service members of this country, you know, I'm sure left, right, center, we all appreciate you. It's it, that's what the weekend's all about. Um, if I encourage anybody, if you're so inclined, top choice, you know, to donate to a military foundation, whether it's Wounded Warriors Family Support, Semper Fire America's Front, and everybody just have a great Memorial Day weekend. Well said. Thank you so much, MJ, for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much. Um, you know, in terms of my final thoughts. Just a final word. I said a few times it's tricky. And for me, it just starts with respect and not wanting to bully anybody and also not wanting to be bullied. And it's really that simple for me. I don't want to see anyone bullied. I don't want to be bullied. Um, so we'll have to work out the details from there. But uh, MJ, again, thanks so much. Thank you. And Linda. I get, yep, I will definitely donate to one of those charities as soon as we're done. Thanks for bringing that up. All right, everybody. We will catch you next time. Enjoy the long weekend.